evening. Uh, if you have your Bible with you, would you take it out, please, and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 7 will be the first scripture that we turn to and read this evening. Um, I was talking to Jimbo just before services out in the foyer, um, and he commented on my hair, and I think he was about the 97th person to uh, do that. And so just for the sake of not having to repeat myself over and over, here's what happened. I grew it out for camp for Wacky Hair Day, and then when I got to camp, I issued a challenge to all the kids. Uh, we sent out a timeline ahead of time, 55 events in the life of Christ that they had to place in order. Um, and for Bible Bowl, they had to just take the cards and put them in order. But I challenged any kid who could recite those 55 events in order from memory to me uh, would be able to take some clippers and do whatever they wanted to my hair. And so Lydia, you see on the screen behind me, was able to do that. I was hoping that she might go for like a mohawk or, you know, uh, something like that where there's still some left on the side. Instead, she took those clippers and went right down the middle. Um, and so uh, this is what was left over um, after the rest of that got taken care of. Um, and I'm sure some of you are grateful for the haircut. Some of you aren't. I'm not sure yet which camp Stephanie is in. That's the most important thing. It has been rightly said that our reputation is what other people think about us, but our character is who we really are. And the Bible warns us to be primarily concerned about the hidden person of the heart, right? That we are not, as Christians, overly concerned about the opinions of others, be they negative or positive. We just do what's right. We make sure that the hidden person of our heart is sincere and honest and loves God and strives to do God's will, all of those sorts of things. Primarily, the hidden person of the heart is what's most important. Primarily, but not exclusively. Does it matter at all what other people think of us? Uh, I believe that the Bible says yes, that it does matter, and it's something that we should consider. It's not the be-all, it's not the end-all, but it is important. Consider a passage like Proverbs 22 in verse 1. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. Our reputation, our name is something that's important. In 1 Timothy and Titus, when it describes the uh, elder of a local church, it describes this man as one who is blameless, who is above reproach. And certainly that refers to both his reputation and his character. But specifically in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 7, it goes on to say, Moreover, he must have a good reputation among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. My reputation is important. Your reputation is important. And God cares about it. And if God cares about it, well, so should I. But our personal reputation is not really where I want to focus our attention this evening, at least not directly. Instead, I want to talk about the reputation of others, and specifically how we influence the way others are viewed through our relationship with them. My reputation has an impact on the reputation of other people. Think about the concept of a, of a reference or a letter of reference. Maybe you put down a reference for a job interview or a scholarship to which you've applied. What is the best kind of reference that you could have? What is most likely to get you hired or get you to uh, achieve that scholarship? Well, if you're thinking about that person, you want it to be someone who's going to say something good about you instead of bad, right? Someone who is in a position to know your history, of course, 
Uh, you probably want a relatively unbiased source. That looks better, not someone who's family or something like that. You probably want someone who can express themselves well so it comes across and they paint you in the best light. All of that is true. But even more important than those things is someone who has a good reputation with or even a relationship with the one who is looking to hire you. If they recommend you, are you going to get the job? That's the question. And that says as much about them as it does about you. Now, we can look, about, look at that in a negative sort of way. We can say, well, it's not what you know, it's who you know, and those sorts of things. But we need to remember that basically all of our life is based on relationships. We have relationships in family. We have relationships in work. We have relationships in school. We have relationships in our friend groups. We have relationships among the brethren. How am I impacting these relationships and the reputation of those who have a a relationship with me? Uh, We've all heard of the concept of being guilty by association. I want us to consider just the opposite this evening. If we are someone else's life reference, what do people think about those who have association with me based on how I live my life? If I met someone who is friends with someone I admire, for example, then I'm going to instantly like that person in all likelihood. I admire the person that they're friends with, and so it's easy for me to become friends with them. In a negative way, if I meet someone who is associated with someone I don't trust, I'm going to be slower to trust that person. What flaw in their character makes them have a close relationship with this person that I don't trust? And so ask yourself the question this evening. Are others praised and held in honor because of my relationship with them? And I think what we should desire based on our reputation and the way we live our lives is when other people think of those associated with us, they say, well, they must be great based on you. Because of what I know about you, the people with whom you choose to associate yourself must be great people as well. And it's something we should consider because it has implications both for them and for us. Our influence on the reputation of others is based on at least three things that we might consider. Number one, our manner of life. Others know that I'm a good person or a bad person, and therefore these people with whom I'm associated, they must be a good person or bad person along with that. It's influenced by what we say in regard to these people especially. Do I say good things about these people or bad things about them? And then number three, maybe this is the the least concrete of the three, but in some ways it is the most impactful. Our enthusiasm for these people. Is my relationship with them important to me? Is it something that I cherish, that I'm excited about? Do I treat them as a priority? And this is true of both our physical relationships and our spiritual relationships. And so that will constitute our two main points this evening. Are other people considered great or good or godly because I am someone who is godly? Uh, Let's think about physical relationships first. Uh, And really, this is where the idea for this lesson came from. If you want to turn to Proverbs chapter 31, the last chapter in Proverbs, we see something there in regard to a physical relationship. Here's the question. Is my spouse praised because I'm his or her husband or wife? 
So because I'm married to this person, somebody doesn't know them, but they know me, do they assume that my spouse is someone who's praiseworthy because of their relationship with me? Um, Proverbs chapter 31, this is the virtuous wife or the worthy woman, however you want to describe it, and she is awesome. She is a great and worthy woman. And yet in verse 23, in the midst of all of these descriptions of her, who she is, her heart, her manner of life, the things that she does and the things that she doesn't do, there's something that's thrown in about her husband that is seemingly, at least on the surface, unrelated to her. In Proverbs 31 and verse 23, it says, Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. Those men who sat in the gates among the elders, these would be the leaders in these communities of the ancient world. The gate of the city is where you would go for judgment, to, to talk to those who were in charge. And her husband is a man who is known about town because he's admired for his wisdom. He sits among the elders in the gates. He's someone that people go to for advice, to make judgments on what is right and what is wrong. And this is not some random, unrelated statement regarding the person, the man that she has married. Instead, I want to suggest this evening that she advances the estimation and respect in which her husband is held. One of the big reasons why he is known in the gates and he sits among the elders of the land is because of her and her reputation and the kind of woman that she is. We remember, of course, that Proverbs is probably written primarily to a young man. Um, the book addresses young men. My son is used repeatedly. There are a few occasions where it says my children, but primarily it's, it's written to a young man. And we see that the poetic structure of this section, Proverbs 31, verses 10 through 31, is both acrostic, that's where each verse begins with a successive letter in the Hebrew alphabet. Um, we think about Psalm 119 as a poem like that. But it's also chiastic. That's the poetic pyramid that we've talked about um, a number of times in Bible classes. So it ascends on some steps. There's the uh, point, the primary point at the top of the pyramid, and then it descends along similar corresponding steps. And so you look at the structure of this poem. What is at the very top of the pyramid? What's the point that is being made? Now, would you believe that it's verse 23? Of all of the things that are said about her, the top of the pyramid is, her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. That's placed in the very center, again indicating the thrust of the poem. If you want to be successful in this life, young men, you need to marry a wife like this. Now, now don't get me wrong. Chapter 31 can be used in teaching either young men or young women, but the original intent from the author seems to be if you truly want to be blessed in your relationships, young men, don't go after a prostitute. Don't go after another man's wife. Don't go after a contentious wife or a nagging wife. Don't go after an idolatrous wife. All of these other women that are mentioned in the book of Proverbs, the culmination of all of those wrong wives is this wife, the right wife, the worthy wife. This is the kind of woman that you need to be seeking. Seek out a wife like this, and she's going to influence your life for the better. 
Men, if you really want to make something of your life and have a good reputation, marry a godly woman like this. And if you married a wife like this, the wise king says, her life will have a positive impact on yours, especially on your reputation. Others will respect, have more respect for you because they have respect for her. And you will be held in higher esteem because of that. Um, you know, one of the safest things to do, I don't know if this is true in other uh, fields of work and study and so forth, but, uh, but generally preachers don't listen to a lot of other preachers' lessons. So one of the safest things to do when you're preaching and you want to you wanna talk about somebody is to talk about another preacher. Um, they're probably not going to listen to what you have to say unless somebody turns them on to it. Uh, so I won't use any names just in case, but there's somebody that we uh, go to camp with. He's also a preacher as well. Um, and uh, his wife is, is a great woman, a great lady. Um, and a few years ago, this is a true story. I'm not going to say his name, but it, this is a true story. Some of the older boys took him aside, and they called him by name, and they just said, how'd you do it? He's like, what are you talking about? They're like, well, no offense, but like, 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 how did you get her? How did you convince her to marry you? And they were impressed. They were impressed with him, right? They held him in high esteem because of her and her reputation and the kind of woman that she was and is. Would that be true of, of you? Would that be true of me? You must be really someone great because I know your spouse. And your spouse is awesome. And even if I've never met you, even if I've never been associated with you, I know something of who you are and your character because of the person that you chose to marry. What's implied here is that others will have more respect for you because they have respect for them. Uh, notice verse 31 in the same chapter. Give her of the fruit of her hands. Let her own works be praise, praise her in the gate. She's known in the gates of the city, and because of that, so is he. Does this describe me and my marriage? It should. Remember our three things that we, we talked about just a moment ago that influence the reputation of others, what that's based on, our manner of life, what we say, and our enthusiasm. Doesn't that all apply to this institution of marriage, and not just the institution, but to our spouse specifically? Our manner of life. Are you the kind of person your spouse is proud to be married to? And, and I don't say proud in an arrogant, up haughty sort of way, but they are glad that they're married to you, not in looks or charm, but in character. In verse 11, does the heart of your husband or wife safely trust in you? Do your coworkers and friends have a high opinion of your spouse because you live a good life? And they would think to themselves, well, they would not be married to someone who isn't a good person. Our manner of life influences the way others think about our spouse. What about what we say? Why are some so quick to run down their spouses, to ignore all of the good that they do, to talk about where they fall short or where they wish they'd change? And those spouse-bashing sessions can and do happen with both men and women. But Proverbs 31 pa paints a different picture. That was hard, lots of teeth. Verse 28 of Proverbs 31. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. And this isn't a put on. 
this is just something that naturally comes because we are enamored with the love of our spouse. I ought to be building up my spouse and expecting her to build me up as well. And remember, if we choose to uh, associate in these spouse bashing sessions, whatever else our spouse is or isn't, they are our choice. We made the choice to marry them. And they are a reflection of us, just as we are a reflection of them. So be very careful who you speak negatively to about your spouse. Build them up in what you say. And then number three, our enthusiasm. If we aren't enthusiastic about marriage, why not? Marriage, under the guidance of God's word, is intended to be the most precious physical blessing and relationship that we have. Um, in verse 10 of the same chapter, who can find a virtuous wife for her? Worth is far above rubies. It's supposed to be a blessing. And I understand. Let me take just a moment here to say, this isn't always the way it is. And sometimes it is not through the fault of, of the faithful spouse that this this doesn't work out in this way. Sometimes people make bad choices. And because of that, their spouse suffers for the things that they have made. But as a general rule, we should be excited about our marriages and tell others that marriage is something to look forward to. And in that way, we're honoring our spouse. So, is my spouse praised because I'm his or her husband or wife? Well, what about the second one? Uh, young people. Are my parents praised because I'm their child? And then the opposite of that is true as well. Are my children praised because I'm their parent? There are a number of Proverbs that speak to this very idea. Turn to Proverbs chapter 19 first, if you would. Proverbs chapter 19. He who mistreats his father, Proverbs 19, 26, he who mistreats his father and chases away his mother is a son, son who causes shame and brings reproach. To whom is he causing shame and bringing reproach? Himself, of course, because the scriptures instruct us, both Old and New Covenant, that we're supposed to honor our father and mother. But it's also bringing shame and reproach on the parents as well because he refuses to have the kind of relationship that he ought with his parents. If we go to Proverbs chapter 28, Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 7, it is even more explicit to this point. Proverbs 28 and verse 7. Whoever keeps the law is a discerning son, but a companion of gluttons shames his father. Young people, older people, the company that you keep and presumably your actions with those evil associations can bring shame upon your parents, especially if you were raised in a good, godly Christian home and you choose to go in another direction. Know that that impacts the influence and the reputation of your parents. If we go back to Proverbs 31, it's not just the husband who praises this worthy woman. In verse 28, her children rise up and call her blessed or blessed. And I would assume it's not just because, you know, you have us, your children, of course you're blessed. It was because of who she is and the kind of woman that she is. Young people, let me speak to you specifically. It is so easy to find flaws in your parents, and I'll tell you why 
because they're flawed people. And yet, the blessing that you have to have parents who love you, to have parents who love the Lord, cannot be understated. And you should be the first to praise your parents if they are worthy of praise, not to drag them down, not to splatter it all over the group text or social media, not to jump in with your friends when they're talking bad about your parents. And maybe that's kind of in vogue. I think it probably always has been. But you should not bring shame upon them. Instead, you should build them up. To all of us, more often than not, our behavior is a testament or an indictment on the lives of our parents. What are we saying about them? What are we saying about our children by the way that we act? Um, people know. When we introduce ourselves, they know who our parents are, especially if we've been in a place for a long, long time. Um, and maybe part of that is, you know, they've known your parents all their lives, seen the good and the bad. Whenever I'm in Lindale, and I lived in Lindale, preached there for about five years, when I'd introduce myself, there's lots of McClennies. So what would they ask? Oh, whose boy are you? First question. Almost always. I'd say, Larry is my dad. And I could kind of figure out, I could kind of figure out when they knew my dad. <laughs> Did they know him early on when he wasn't the man that he ought to have been? Or did they know him later when he became the godly man that he is now? The way we act as parents has an impact on our children as well. And we could add other relationships to this list. Siblings and friends, boyfriends, girlfriends, and so forth. But as important as those physical relationships are and the impact we have on the reputation of others, our spiritual relationships are even more important. So let me ask you some questions in regard to spiritual relationships. Is this local congregation praised because I'm a member of this congregation? You know, we usually think about this, too, in the negative. Someone who brings reproach upon the church because of the sin that they're involved in. And yes, we see that in the scriptures. You think about 1 Corinthians chapter 5, if you want to turn over there for just a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Um, we won't read all of verses 1 through 13. Notice just a few verses from this context. Paul says in verse 1, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles, that a man has his father's wife. And you are puffed up, you're proud, and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. Verse 6, your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? And so in verses 11 uh, through 13, after he tells them, you can't keep company with this brother. You have to discipline this brother. He says in verse 11, but now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. For what have I to do with judging those who are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? But those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. So in the negative, here was someone who was involved in sexual immorality to such a degree that even the Gentiles were like, whoa, 
saying, what's going on over there? That's not something that's normal. That's not something that's right. Even with their pagan morality, they looked at it in those terms. And so what he says is you can't allow that to go on in the congregation because that impacts the influence that you have. Do you know that there are a number of writings uh, from Asia Minor in the first and second century? And you know one of the things that, that, that crops up in those writings a number of times? Um, obviously, there were those who were against Christianity. They wanted to drag Christianity through the mud. One of the things that comes up is uh, Christians were somehow involved in cannibalism, right? You heard that? Well, that's because we eat the body and blood of someone every first day of the week. Well, obviously, we can't control someone. That's just someone looking for something to, to drag Christians through the mud. But you know another thing that early Christians were known for? Sexual immorality. And I can't help but wonder if cases like this didn't contribute to that. Certainly that was the case with the church here in Corinth. And Corinth was uh, kind of like the Las Vegas of, of that day. There was even a phrase, living like a Corinthian, which meant that you were involved in all sorts of debauchery. But even in a city like that, this was something that harmed the reputation of the church. And so we have to be oh so careful to make sure that our actions are such that we aren't, that we aren't um, harming the reputation of God's people. This one was to be purged from their midst. And so ask yourself the question, do people see the way I live my life and think more highly of the church or less highly of the church? In regard to the way I speak about our congregation, are we positive and enthusiastic about where we go to church? And it's not a, it's not a Pollyanna, it's not a puffed up sort of, well, everything's perfect and we're all perfect. I think it's helpful to admit our flaws, admit our shortcomings, that we're sinners. But do we focus more upon what's right among God's people or what's wrong, especially in our conversations with those of the world? You know what I believe? I believe that we have a great congregation of the Lord's people. And my attitude is such, I don't know why more people wouldn't want to be a part of what we have, the family that we have. But others should see that attitude in us, where, where when someone asks where I go to church, I light up and I'm excited to share with them what, what Christ is doing among these people. I love where I attend, and, and the church at Timberland Drive has a reputation to uphold, not in an arrogant way, but in a real powerful manifestation of what a local church should be. And there are some here, even this evening, who who came to Christ in part for that very reason. They looked around and they said, well, we're friends with people and, and we know that there are certain people who act like Christians that we're friends with. Where do they go to church? And it turned out many of those people went to church here. And so they said, well, let's go check it out. And because of that, they heard the gospel. May it always be so among us, among God's people. May this congregation be praised because I'm a member. But even more powerfully, is God praised? Is Christ praised? Because I'm a Christian. A Christian. Christ is right there in the name, isn't it? And so people associate Jesus Christ, for better or for worse, with me and the way I live my life. Of course, there are lots of passages that tell us this. Turn to Matthew chapter 5, if you would. Matthew chapter 5. 
Now, verse 16 is the money verse that we'll get to, but let's start in verse 13. Matthew 5, 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It has been good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. We're supposed to make the world a better place because we're in it. But if we lose our flavor, if we are just like the rest of the world, then we aren't really accomplishing our purpose. Verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives a light to all who are in the house. For good or for ill, we are held to a higher standard because we wear the name of Christ. And we are supposed to be shining our light as to what godly living is supposed to be. As he says in verse 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. That's our goal. It's not just our goal, that's our purpose. That others are drawn like moths to a flame. Others are drawn to Christ because of the way we live our lives. Turn to Second Peter chapter 2. And we see something similar there. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 11. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 11. Beloved, loved ones. And I do love you, just as Peter loved Jesus. I beg you, remember who you are. As sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, That's just a way of saying those who aren't in Christ, non-Christians, that when they speak against you as evildoers, we can't control everything that everybody says of us. And it's frustrating sometimes. I'm doing what's right, and yet there's a reputation out there that's untrue. What do I do about that? My dad told me a long time, Reagan, just let the test of time prove all. You just keep doing what's right. Because when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, Glorify God in the day of visitation. Through our persistent godliness, they eventually have nothing evil that they can say of us. Sometimes, as the song says, we are the only Bible this sinful world will read. But what does our life say about God? Is Christ really the first priority in my life? Do I live that way? People are watching and listening often with a desire to tear us down. So we must do everything in our power not to give them an excuse to reject our Savior. Why is all of this important? Well, notice with me as we make application at the end of our lesson, three products of minding our influence and the reputation of others. Number one, it strengthens our relationships with others. I'm not on an island by myself. And unity is found when we begin to think beyond ourselves to the needs of others. It's a manifestation of love and service when I'm considering others in my personal actions. What I do affects other people. And so Philippians chapter 2 and verse 4 says, Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interest of others. My spouse, my brothers and sisters in Christ, and Christ himself. My relationship is going to be strengthened because I'm thinking about them. 
And I'm thinking about how my actions impact their reputation. Number two, it forces us to consider the impact of my actions, our actions. Am I living the way that I should? And how are my actions affecting others? Are they bringing honor and glory or shame to others? And even more, sometimes the consequences of my sin are much more far-reaching than I'm willing to admit to myself. This pornography, this drink, this immorality, this unethical decision at work, it doesn't just affect me. It affects my spouse. It affects my children. It affects the cause of Christ. And I need to consider my actions in regard to myself, but also in regard to others. And sometimes we can fool others into thinking we're doing okay when when really deep down we're not. Sometimes we can fool ourselves. That I'm doing is not that bad. I'm not really hurting anyone. Maybe not physically, but am I hurting them in other ways? In a sense, this can be an objective outside indicator of our own faithfulness. I should ask myself, do I bring glory or reproach on these relationships? My wife, my parents, my local group of Christians, and my Savior by the things that I do. And then finally, number three. It enlivens and it eases evangelism. Uh, I want you to turn over, if you would, to 1 Peter chapter 3 and verses 15 and 16, just a page or so over in your Bible. Paul's picking up this same theme. People talk bad about you. You just keep living right. Because eventually the test of time will prove all that you're living as a Christian ought to live. Verse 15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. Why are they ashamed? Because it rings hollow. Sure, they can make things up. They can make a mountain out of a molehill. We aren't perfect, so they can find something with which they can use against us. But in the end, our sincerity, our love for God, our love for our brother, our love for our enemies wins out. And our reputation starts to match that hidden person of the heart in the mind of others. The only way this works, of course, is if we have hope in us, that we show them that being a Christian is something to be desired. Their accusations and insults ring hollow in the face of real peace and purpose and commitment. And finally, whether we want them to or not, people associate the name Christian with Christ. This is what Christ is like, and maybe that's their only exposure to him at this point in their life. How great is it to be able to say, They associate you with what a Christian is. And that's a good thing, because you look like Christ. Galatians 2 and verse 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. It's humbling to consider. I am made great. Because of my relationship with Jesus. But how humbling, what an honor to think that Christ could be seen as great because of his relationship with me. 
I want this to be an encouragement to each and every one of us. And maybe uh, I, I want to make sure I struck the right tone. I don't want this to be discouraging. Oh, great. I've already messed up. No way to fix it. What do I do now? You know something that the world is really, really, really bad at? Admitting when they're wrong. And one of the ways that we can shine our light, one of the ways that we can show Christ living in us, one of the ways that we can be different, is when we have the faith and courage to stand up and say, you know what? That was wrong. And I'm sorry. And I love Jesus Christ, so I'm going to try and do better the next time. And sometimes that makes a bigger impact than living a perfect life that everyone knows is perfect. So if you're here this evening, this admonition is for you who are Christians. If there is something in your life that is impacting the reputation of Christ and church and those that associate with you in some way, and you need to make it right this evening, there is no better time than now. Christ and the angels in heaven and all of your brothers and sisters in Christ will rejoice with you in this. And maybe it's not something of a public nature. Maybe it's just something private where you need to go to God in prayer or go to someone else and admit that shortcoming. But there are no greater people to be associated with than people of God. I am so grateful that my name and my reputation are associated with all of you because I am honored. I am honored by people like you. We can help you in some way this evening. Won't you come now? Have a great evening.